Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, so good to have all of you at all of our churches with us today. And I just want to say something before we get started. I was in a conversation today or this week with uh, someone who attends one of our campuses, and um, they asked me this question. They said, Paul, do you think the church is going to survive this COVID pandemic? And I was like, no, the, the church is not going to survive it. It's going to thrive through it. Because the reality is, yeah, I mean, you can celebrate that, um, but here, here's why. What, what most people don't understand is, listen, the church has survived more difficult things than what we're even going through right now. But even more than that, I just want to say to all of you at Rivertown Community Church, at all of our campuses, you guys are doing an amazing job because here's the thing. I was looking this week after this person said uh, the question they asked. I was looking to say, okay, what, what's happening behind the scenes? Listen, we, we this year... We've still already, we've already had 400 first-time guests, and almost 200 people of those have went in through into engage in the process. I mean, people are still hungry. They want Jesus, and I'm telling you, we have an incredible opportunity to continue to reach our communities for Jesus Christ because, I mean, there is more desperation than ever, which is why next week we're going to be starting a series that I'm absolutely excited about entitled Four. For four weeks, we're going to talk about being for our communities, and we're going to give you an incredible opportunity to be rich in giving and serving and loving our communities during those four weeks. So it's an incredible opportunity for us to show, hey, listen, we are still for our communities and the church is still thriving in spite of what we're experiencing. Because here's the thing, as followers of Christ, we're not crisis-based, we're Christ-based and we are Christ-focused, not crisis-focused. So you can thrive because Jesus says, my church will prevail. Now, can you tell that when that person asked me that, it fired me up? I'm like, are you serious? We're going to ask, is the church going to thrive? It absolutely is, or is going to survive. It's not just going to survive. It is going to thrive. So, um, hey, if you're first-time guest here today, welcome. Glad you're here. You just heard the heart of our church. So, um, listen, go ahead and take out those talk notes out of your worship guide. And uh, we are in our second part of a conversation today entitled Parent Unscripted. And here's what we know. Whether you're a parent or not a parent, you might think, well, I picked a bad Sunday to come because we're talking about parenting. Here's the thing I know. All of us at some point in time, we have felt the weight and the responsibility of raising or helping to support someone who is raising a child. All of us. You're going to feel that if you're not feeling it now. In fact, as we said last week, whenever children come into the world, one thing is very true about it is they do not come with scripted instructions for how to raise them. And we told you last week, the reason they don't come with scripted instructions is because God wants us to be relational. He wants it to be a relational relationship instead of just an instructional relationship where it's just kind of these lists of rules and responsibilities and those kind of things. But because it's not scripted, one of our greatest fears as parents is, is that we will raise our children and that somewhere along the way, they're going to miss something that they need in life in order to thrive as they become mature adults. So the question that we have been asking for the last, since last week is, since there's not a specific script for how to raise each one of your children... How do I prepare my children to be mature, wise adults? Well, last week we began to unpack God's plan for parenting, and it's based upon this principle that we said is the foundation for all other principles for parenting, and we said it this way. God's plan for parenting is about training the heart. 
God's plan for parenting is about training the heart. Now, why is this like the most foundational principle? Because the wisest man who ever lived, he said these words that reinforce this, that help us understand why this is a very important principle, especially when it comes to parenting. He says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, I want you to miss what Solomon is saying. He says, everything you do flows from your heart. Literally every action, every reaction, every interaction, how you react to people and interact with people, it flows from your heart. There is no action that you will take. There is no decision that you will make that is not guided by your heart. The way you respond to everything in life shows what your heart is like. So God says, because that's true, my plan for parenting is that you train the heart. Now, last week, we began to share with you from Luke chapter 2, verse 52, four irreducible minimals that we need to impress or train upon the heart of our children. They were the same things that were used to train Jesus. In fact, we said that that one verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it covers an 18-year span of Jesus' life from the age of 12 to the age of 30. And he says, these are the four things that Jesus grew in. And so we say, if those are the four things that Jesus grew in, then those are the four things that our children need to grow in. And I'll just say to you, if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen. You can find the full version of the talk on our, on our website where you can listen or you can watch. Because here's the thing. You want to be training the heart of your child on those four irreducible minimals. Now, don't miss this. Because this is kind of what we're going to focus on today. Training the heart of your child it takes time. It doesn't just take time, though. It takes personal commitment. And, that, and that's why I think training the heart of the next generation, really the greatest enemy to training the heart of the next generation is the pace of our lives. It's the pace of our lives as parents. It's the pace of our lives as a family. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to learn together what the rhythm and the routine is that is essential if we're going to train the hearts of our children for the next generation. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to see this, and you're going to go, oh, that's pretty simple to understand. But here's the thing you'll have to also understand about it. It is very hard to apply. And here's why it's really hard to apply. The culture around you, when you try to apply this principle that we're going to be looking at, this pattern, this routine, and this rhythm, when you try to apply it to your family, culture is going to oppose you. See, our culture, it wants a pace and it wants a pattern that's totally counter to the rhythm and the routine that God lays out in Scripture in order to train the hearts of our children, to impress the things that we need to impress upon their hearts so that when they are guided by their hearts, they're guided by God's teaching, by God's training for their life. So what happens if we're not really intentional as parents we're going to hear this and go, oh, that's simple to understand, but then we're going to get pulled into the pace and to the pattern of our culture. And the next thing we know, our days are going to be consumed with just making sure our kids are getting the right education and getting the right experiences and doing everything that we can to make sure our children get the most out of life. Now, here's the thing. 
the primary reason that we parents live out this pace and this pattern that our culture says is because we have bought into what our culture says really brings about success. In fact, you know, our culture says, Here, here's what will bring success to your children. You give your children the right education, you give your children the right experiences, that's what they need the most to have a full and abundant life. But I can tell you, looking back now, as a parent who has a child that's 31, a child that's 28, a child that's 26, I can tell you, looking back at the pace and the pattern of parenting in our culture, I mean, it is so easy to see that the things that are going to determine the best outcome for our children's lives, they are now optional in the minds of most parents. And, and I just want to say to you, listen, I really pray that you listen to what we have to say today. I, I spent Thursday and Friday doing some sessions, um, three sessions each day with um, a Christian school out of Dothan. And um, I spent one day with middle schoolers, one day with high schoolers. And, and I'm just going to tell you folks, my heart at the end of each day was saying, oh, we got some work to do as a church in training parents on how to train the hearts of children. I mean, the, the school's doing such an amazing job, but I thought, man, every day they are dealing with kids whose parents are just falling into the pattern and the path of our culture. And, and these parents think, well, if I just give my kids the right education and give them the right experiences, then my kids are going to have the right outcome. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss. If not managed well, education and experiences, they can become enemies to training the hearts of the next generation. And I so admire the school where they just take a time out of each semester of their school where they just say, we're, we're going to have a day of just spiritual emphasis and spiritual training to help train, to partner with parents in training the hearts of children. Now, what's really interesting is most people don't have that opportunity. But we as a church, that's our goal, is to partner with you as parents to help train the hearts of your children. It's what we do every Sunday morning. It's what we do every Wednesday night with student ministry is to tr partner with you in the process. But you as a parent, you have to take responsibility for this. Now, here's what's really interesting about it. When you look at Scripture of what you don't find that we do as parents and what you do find in Scripture that we don't do as parents. And today we just want to kind of reveal some of that. So this morning we're going to look at kind of the routine and the pattern that God establishes for parents if we want to raise emotionally and spiritually mature adults. Because really at reality is you're not raising children, you are raising adults. So I want you to notice kind of a foundational thought for the rhythm and the routine that the Apostle Paul says, here's kind of the environment that you need to start creating in your home if you're going to raise mature, emotionally mature, and spiritually mature adults. Notice what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. So he says, you need to create an environment as parents where you're not exasperating your children. He says, instead, the environment you should create is a bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord kind of environment. Now, what's really interesting is the Apostle Paul, he begins by helping us understand the kind of environment that we need to create in our homes, and he begins addressing parents, and as he begins to address parents, he starts with this contrast. 
And the contrast is what we would naturally or what we will naturally do as parents, and that is to exasperate our children. And let's just kind of get really honest on all of our campuses. How many of you would say that when you were growing up, that at some point in time, you felt very exasperated by your parents? They, they just like frustrated you. Heidi, would you, would you raise your hands if you ever got frustrated with your parents? Okay. Some of you are lying because you're not raising your hands. But the reality is, it's like you, you know what it's like to experience that. So he says, this is what we naturally do with our parenting patterns if we're not intentional about it. We exasperate our children. And then he contrasts that with what we don't naturally do. And he says, instead, I want you to bring them up. Now, I want you to think about that that's different. I'm going to explain what, how bring them up is different than exasperating them in a moment. But I want you to think about it this way. The reason that you have any influence on the early life of your child has nothing to do with the quality of your relationship. Think about that. The, the reason that you have any influence on the early life of your child has nothing to do with the quality of your relationship. In fact, in the early years of parenting, it's really more of a one-sided relationship, isn't it? I mean, in the early years of parenting, your relationship with your children is really based upon your size and your position as a parent. And then it's also based upon what you can provide for them, what you can do for them. And here's the thing. If we follow the natural pace and the pattern of our culture, what will happen is we as parents, we will continue to use our size and our position, and we will continue to use what we can provide for our children to try to get them to do what we want them to do or what we think is best for them. And the problem is, if we really stop and think about it, we know that doesn't work. In fact, exactly what the Apostle Paul says will happen, happens. It exasperates our children. I mean, think about this. How many parents have provided their children with all the right things? They gave them the right education. They gave them the right experiences. They gave them all the right stuff. And the children are so exasperated with their parents, they don't even want to be around their parents. They go home and they try to hide out from their parents. They try to find every reason to not be around their parents. And parents are thinking, I can't understand why my child is so frustrated with me. I can't understand why my child is so unhappy with me all the time. Because the parents are thinking, I am providing what is best for my children. I'm giving them this education. I'm giving them these experiences. I'm providing all this stuff for them. What the Apostle Paul is saying is so counterintuitive. So what we as parents need to do instead, I'm telling you that this is so key the Apostle Paul says, hey, we need to bring them up. Now, here's the thing. Bring them up, it literally means that we need to enter into a nurturing relationship with our children. It's about relationship. It's not about a script. In fact, I don't want you to miss this as you, if you're taking notes. Bring them up is a highly relational phrase. More than right things, the Apostle Paul is saying, is children need right kind of relationships. Right kind of relationships with parents, with family, with mentors, with other trusted adults in their life. 
See, bring them up. It has this idea that we need to stay in tune with them in a nurturing and a relational kind of way in every phase of their development. And what that nurturing looks like in each phase is different. It's why we give you as parents, they're available in our children's areas, those phase cards. It's why we make the Parent Q app because every week it'll tell you, hey, here's the phase your child is in and this is what they need. And the reason the Apostle Paul says this, he says, you will never lose influence with your children to train them spiritually, emotionally, if you are creating an environment that is nurturing instead of exasperating. And some of you are saying, okay, well, where do you get all this from? Well, look at the last part of this verse. He says, I want you to create an environment where you're bringing them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. He's saying, as a parent, you are the primary spiritual leader of your children. You, you are the primary person that is responsible for the spiritual outcome of your life, but not as a tyrant, but as this nurturing, loving, caring parent. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, in order to raise great kids that turn into emotionally healthy adults, spiritually mature adults, it's all about training and creating this instructional environment where we're bringing them up through a relationship. So some of you are going, well, how do we create that kind of environment? Well, what is this training and instructional environment supposed to look like if it's not just instructional, but it's relational? Well, I'm glad that you ask. Because in a very unfamiliar book to most of us, you find this, it's the fifth book in the Bible, it's the book of Deuteronomy. Almost 4,000 years ago, Moses, who was the leader of the nation of Israel, he lays out a very clear plan for how you create this kind of environment, a bring them up, a nurturing environment in your home. Isn't it amazing that this plan has been around for almost 4,000 years? So Moses directs us as parents to create this nurturing environment or home so that we can, you'll notice that he also says, so that we can focus on the most important part of parenting, and that is the spiritual and emotional development of our children so that we can, and he'll, he'll say, he says it in almost these words, so that we can train the hearts of our children. So I want you to look at it with me because in this instruction, Moses tells us the rhythm and the routine necessary for creating this kind of environment. Notice what he says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. He says, these commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So I want to stop right there for just a moment because I want to remind you what Moses is saying. He says, it really starts with you. It starts with your heart. He's saying, your faith is foundational for the faith of your children. He's saying, you have to own your faith. You have to own your faith personally, and you have to be passionate about your faith. But, but that's not all. It's not just for you. He says, no, your faith, it needs to be passed on to the next generation. Look at how he says to do this. He says, impress them on your children. Literally, train the heart of your children. So your faith is not just personal to you. It's to be passed on to your children. This means that you have to create an environment to be able to do that. That this means that there are many important things that you need to teach your children so that their spiritual and emotional development is like the number one priority in your home. That's what he's saying. When he says, 
You need to impress this on your children. These commands that I've given you today, they're to be on your heart, but you need to impress them on your children because this is the number one priority of your home. And what I discover for so many parents, the number one priority of our home is not nurturing our children into a growing faith as the number one priority every day. The number one priority is, are they getting the right education? Are they getting the right experiences? Are they getting the right stuff? So how do you impress these, these important truths that are going to guide the hearts of your children onto your children's heart? How do you create this environment that trains the heart of, of your child? Here's what he says. He says, impress them on your child's heart. Talk about them when you sit at home. And if you're taking notes, please underline the phrase, sit at home. The key idea here is that you create a rhythm and a routine in your home that includes having times when you sit together at home with no distractions. Don't miss what he's saying here. When you sit at home with no distractions, that means, parent, that you turn that phone off. And you put it away, leave it in another room, and you focus on your child. It means you have a time when you sit at home and the TV's not playing and there's no social media going on. It's a time when your children turn their phones off and they put them away. I'm just telling you, the worst thing, you know, if I go have lunch with someone and they lay their phone on, on their table, I just kind of know how that lunch is going to go. Because I'm like, okay, we got another person in the room with us right now. And it's going to be a distraction. But can I tell you something, parents? Every time you're around your kids and you put that phone somewhere where they can see it and you don't remove it out of sight, they go, okay, my parents aren't focused. I'm not going to be focused. It's just how it works. So he says, there's got to be times in your home when you are not so busy that you can sit down and you can connect with those children, those students in a relational kind of way. Now, let me just tell you something, parents. If you don't start this young, it's harder to do when they get older. But I'm going to give you a little secret for how you can begin this process. So he says, listen, you need to be building into the rhythm of your life. If it's ever going to happen, you've got to be intentional about times to sit at home with no distractions. Now, let me just tell you the best way to create this rhythm and routine in your home is to create having dinner together as a family. It's the best way to do this. It's to create the time, block out the time on your schedule where you know that four to five evenings a week, you're going to have dinner as a family at home. Not at a restaurant. Because at a restaurant, there's going to be all kinds of distractions. And have you ever sat in a restaurant? What, what do most families do when they're sitting at a restaurant? You got one kid with this little iPad thing they're looking at. You got other kids, if they're old enough, they're on their phone. And mom and dad are even on their phones, that kind of thing. No, no, no. This is about sitting around the table as a family four to five times a week. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. My wife and I, Melody and I, we discovered this early on. This is a keystone habit. I'm telling you. If you will make it a priority to sit at home with no distractions, I promise you it will change your family in so many ways. In fact, I would say that probably the, the primary reason, because 
when people tell me they're busy, I'm like, I just laugh. I mean, there's never been a season in my life where I wasn't busy. I mean, when we were raising kids, when, when, I st- when we started having our children, I was going to Bible college. I had a hardware and building supply that I owned. We were building spec houses, and I was pastoring the church. So when people tell me, hey, we're busy, I just want to laugh and go, you know what, everybody else is too. So you got to decide what your priorities are. You, you do what is priority for you. In fact, I would say that the reason my children did not grow up hating the church or being completely exasperated with me as a parent is because when, we were, when our children were growing up, we committed together. Melody and I committed together. And parents, you have to, if you're married, you have to do this. As a single parent, you can make this decision and everybody will be on board. But as a, as a couple, you got to make this decision together that we made the commitment that we were going to have dinner together at least four evenings a week at home. And what that meant for me, sometimes I would have to come home for dinner, be home for a couple hours, and then go back to the office, have meetings late. I mean, there were times I tell people, hey, if you want to meet with me, we're going to meet at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night because we're going to have dinner. Now, here, here's the thing. Studies show it makes your relationship with your children so much better. It, it makes your children's study habits better. It fills your children with greater confidence in life. Listen, this one habit. I mean, think about the wisdom that Moses gave us 4,000 years ago that you sit at home and you create relational connection time. It affects your life in so many ways. This one habit affects all of your life in your family. But you got you to say, we're going to do this. It's going to be our priority. And you got to be willing to say, I've got a meeting. I've already got a meeting. And I can't meet during this time. And there were times I'd go through seasons where we didn't get it right. And, man, I could just tell. um, It would affect our family. So Moses says, you need to create a rhythm and a routine for your family so that you are sitting at home together having conversations as a family with no distraction. Have you ever noticed that when somebody has something to drink or something to eat, it just kind of opens them up a little bit? And I'm not talking about alcohol either when I say something to drink and open them up a little bit. I'm talking about when people have like a cup of coffee or have some, you know, like sitting at a table with you, it just opens people up. But this is not all he says. That's just the first thing. He says, you need to carve out time to sit at home. So what else does he say? He says, not only when you sit at home, but when you walk along the road. Now, literally in our day and time, it would be when you drive up and down the road, which means you have to do life in such a way, you have to do life at such a manageable pace that your car is not chaotic. That means some of you need to go home this afternoon and clean your car. Because when you open the door to your car, stuff falls out, and we have to pick it up in the church parking lot after you leave. Because your life is so chaotic, you just throw everything in and you open the doors and it all falls out and then everybody's trying to fall. Listen, if you get into a chaotic environment, the environment is going to be chaotic from the beginning of the drive. But not only does that add to the chaotic of the environment, but most of us, we live our life at such a pace and a pattern that driving is one of the most exasperating times in a child's life. Because what are you saying to your kids? Hurry up and get in the car. Come on and get in the car. Get buckled up. It's time. Hey, you knew we were going to go five minutes ago. Let's go. And I'm just going to tell you, parents, 
This one is hard to do. In fact, my son reminded me of this a couple months ago. He, he was home from med school for a couple days, and we were having this birthday dinner for my wife, and she was in Panama. was going to be in Panama, and so some of our family met down there, and then Melody and uh, my daughter were going to go shopping afterwards. And Melody just knows that our relationship is so much better when she goes shopping with my daughter instead of me going shopping with her. So her and my daughter and son-in-law, he, he still is hooked on this shopping thing. Um, but anyhow, um, he went with them. And so me and Cameron were driving back from Panama. And he just keeps getting on to me about my driving. I mean, he, he just was like, what's your problem, Dad? You think you're going to a race? You think you're in a race? Listen, I have been in the car so long alone as a single parent. You know, I just kind of forgot that driving was about being relational as well. And, and here's the thing. At 28 years of age, he got so exasperated at me. I got so convicted in my spirit. He's like, you drive like you're in some kind of race. What are you trying to prove? Listen, it was just such an incredible reminder. Like when you're driving... No, no matter what the age of your child, no matter who's in the vehicle with you, it, it should be relational time. Are we convicted yet? I mean, like we could go home right now and just change our families with these two, but that's not all. Oh, it gets better. This one's getting better. And when you lie down and when you get up, but you talk about an exasperating time in your families. I mean, this right here of training, impressing, nurturing your children with God's truth when it comes time to get up or to put them to bed. I mean, this is so different than what most of you experience in the morning and evening because we're so busy. The experience of getting our kids up, the experience of putting our kids to bed, it is so exasperating for most of our kids because we're like, hurry up, hurry up. We got to go. We got to go because you stayed up too late the night before because you were out doing all these right things. Are these right experiences? And then you brought them home and you're trying to cram fast food down their mouth. And, you know, they're, you're mad at them because they didn't eat the food that you got. And you spent money for it because it's way too much money. You could eat cheaper if you bought the food and cook it at home. And, as you, man, it's like, anyhow. And it'd be better food. But then you tried to get them to get their baths. Get into bed. Oh, and then they got homework to do. So now you're up till 10, 11 o'clock trying to help them do homework. I mean, it's just so chaotic. And then you're trying to get them in bed. In the morning, you're trying to drag them out of bed. I'm just telling you, folks. Moses, 4,000 years ago, said, you, you got to change the way you do life. He says, you got to create a rhythm and a routine in your homes so that when you are getting your kids up and when you're putting them to bed, you can impress through a nurturing way, God's truth on their heart. But it doesn't stop there. Oh, we got another one or two. Here we go. Tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your forehead. Now, that doesn't mean you tattoo Bible verses on your forehead or your hands, right? You know, that's not that. No, what, what he's talking about here is this, that your hands are symbolic of your actions, your hands are symbolic of your reactions in life. And the forehead is symbolic of what we think and what we say. So he's saying, listen, in every interaction, in every reaction, we should be able to look at our children and say to them, as we talked about last week, follow me as I follow Christ. 
In other words, in every action and every interaction that they see us, our pace of life should be so that we can say to them, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, so that they're not just seeing all these emotional reactions that so many of us have. And I'm just telling you, I think this is why so many children and so many students walk away from God. Because they see their parents live one way, act and react one way, and then the parents tell them to live and act in a different way. And that is so sad. But that's not all. Verse 9. He says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So here's the question. What do you display in your home? If somebody walked inside of your home who did not know your family and they looked around, what would they think was the number one priority of your life? What would they think that you valued the most? Who or what would they think that you worshiped? Do you have more about your favorite ball team than you do about Jesus in your home? Do you have more about whatever your favorite hobby is than you have about Jesus in your home? Listen, my, my mom was so good at this. In every room, there were always scriptures or there were principles from scripture that were hanging on the wall or sitting on something. In fact, the bathroom that we children used to get ready in the morning and to get ready for school or to go to bed at night, my mom, she would write a new verse on that mirror every week. I, I memorized so many scriptures just by getting ready to go to school or by getting ready to go to bed. What are you doing to create an environment? This is what Moses is saying. Like, not only with your actions do you create an environment, but the environment of your home. If somebody walked in your home, would it be a Christ-centered environment? Would they know that Jesus lives there, that he's priority, that he's number one? So, so the big question for you as a parent or a grandparent or a guardian of children or students, is the environment of your home one that just naturally points people to Jesus, including your children? Will, will it help you train? Does it set up an environment that helps you train the heart of your children toward Jesus? And I'm just telling you, Moses is saying that this only happens when you are intentional to create a routine and a rhythm that gives you time and creates the environment by what you put in the space and by how you as a parent act in that space to train the hearts of your children. And, and all Moses and the Apostle Paul are saying is this, is they're saying the number one priority as a parent is to create a rhythm and a routine that creates margin to train the hearts of our children. Now, when we talk about this word margin right here, we're just saying that we have to intentionally create space in our schedule. We, we have to intentionally create time in our schedule to do all these things. Because most of you are going, when we eat, when we drive, when we get them, put them to bed, when we get them up, when we create what it looks like in our house. You, you have to go against the flow of culture to do this. So one of the ways that we did this, and, and this is just going to make some of you, just going to freak some of you out, and I'm sorry, but um, it really saved our lives as, a, as, as parents and our family, and I think our children would tell you, yeah, it did. 
See, when our children got into middle school and high school, we, we began to realize, oh my goodness, there's so many activities and things they can be involved in, and, and um, there's so many things they could do. So what we said is this, you can only be involved in one extracurricular activity at a time. So we had one daughter who was in FFA. She was big on FFA, and that was it. We're like, you can't do anything else. Well, she wanted to play volleyball, and she wanted to do this, and she was like Miss Popular, and she wanted to be all this kind of stuff. We're like, you pick the one you want, because life is about choices. Pick the one you want. So she did the FFA thing. And then our son, we said he wanted to play sports, and so we're like, you pick the one you want. And you're going, you, you didn't let him pick all of them? No, nope. we let him pick one. Because, see, we said training the hearts of our children was our priority. Th think about this. When I say something like this, for many of you that you're going, man, that's so idealistic. That's just something we would never do. That's so idealistic. And, you know, you're, you were a horrible parent. I'm sure your kids grew up hating you. I would beg to differ. I think it's what kept our family together and why our kids want to come home. You know what's interesting? So we had one tradition because every Sunday I, or every Saturday I try to shut down about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the evening and I'd turn off my phone, do everything and just get my head focused on Sunday. And my family has known that since the kids were like this. And so every Sunday or every Saturday afternoon I would, somewhere around 3, 3.30, I would start cooking dinner for it. We had this tradition where we would have dinner together on Saturday afternoon late because most time on Sunday we couldn't have lunch together, those kind of things. And so guess what we would do? Every Saturday afternoon for all the time our kids were at home, I would do hamburgers and french fries. And you know what's so cool about that? It has created such a tradition that oftentimes when our kids are all going to be home again, they'll go, we'll say, what do y'all want for dinner? And you know what they'll say? Hamburgers and french fries. Now, sometimes they'll say steak. <laughs> <laughs> but, but think about the memories that that created. So much so that as adults, they want to come home and just have hamburgers and french fries together. Listen. I know for some of you what we're saying today, it brings this incredible tension. Because you think that if you slow the pace of your home down and you start limiting the activities your kids are going to be involved in, that you're going to destroy your child's life. You might just save their child, your child's life. So, so this brings us this incredible tension when it comes to parenting. Here's the tension. It's the whole real that we live in right now versus the ideal. See, here's where most of us are. We're violating everything that Moses said about creating a rhythm and a routine that helps us train the hearts of our children. And the thing is, is, is when you live in this real, you think there's no way we could ever live out the ideal. But I just want you to understand something. This tension between the real Versus the ideal, it's not a bad thing. In fact, creating the tension between the real and the ideal thing, Jesus did that over and over and over again. Jesus always pointed us to the ideal. 
but he refused to beat us up when we fell short of it, right? I mean, with Jesus, I mean, the ideal, it just got higher, but his grace just went deeper. The standard just went higher, but his forgiveness just became richer. Listen, love and grace doesn't lower the standard. Love and grace doesn't change the ideal. You know what love and grace does? It just helps us have the power to move from just living in what has been natural, what is real, to leaning in toward the ideal. So for some of you, you might have to say, okay, what are some things that we need to begin to change? Because remember, you need to make these changes as a family out of a relationship, not as a dictator. You don't need to go home today and go, hey, Pastor Paul said we need to do this if you kids are going to grow up and love Jesus. So this is what we're going to do. That's exasperating them. Bringing them up is beginning to take them on a journey of building relationship as you begin to do these things. So for some of you, it's going home and cleaning out your car and scheduling time so it's not so chaotic when you're driving them around. For some of you, it's starting to schedule dinner at home. For some of you, it's creating a pace where you're saying, or creating an environment inside of your home. You're going home and cleaning up your house and, and, and making it more of an environment where you go, man, Jesus is welcome here. You need to lean in today and decide where you're going to start. So, so this is the big tension that all of us have to wrestle with. This is the big decision that we all have to make as parents as we close this out. And, and the question is, are we willing to embrace this ideal? Are we willing to do that even though we're so far away from that? Or are we going to go walk out and just reject the ideal that God lays in front of us because we're like, man, the path from here to here is too much. It's not. God will help you. I promise that. Melody and I, as, and you, you talked to my wife, as much as we tried to live out the ideal, we always felt like we fell short of that. But I'm going to just tell you, it's worth trying. It's worth trying. It's always worth trying to create the ideal. Now, here's what I know about you. You want what God wants for your life and your family. And here's why God says, I want to create this. Because every one of us, regardless of your view of Scripture, regardless of your view of how this world is or where this world is heading, every person who has ever faced any kind of family dysfunction, they want better for their children, don't they? You want the ideal for your children. It's why we say things like this. Man, I want my kids to have it better than I had it. See, there's just something in you that refuses to lose sight of the ideal, isn't it? Isn't that true? So Jesus, in his amazing grace and his amazing mercy and his love for us, he invites us, in the, even in the 21st century, 4,000 years later, after Moses wrote this, he says, will you re-embrace a rhythm and a routine that's going to create an environment by your actions and reactions, by the environment that your home is, by the environment that your car is, that is going to help you create and train the hearts of your children to love Jesus. So as we close out this morning, I, I just want you to imagine for just a moment, what could happen if you went home today and you cleaned up your car, you organized your house, you begin to put things around the house. Don't create a shrine. You're just creating this place that's comfortable and welcoming to the spirit of God in your home.
What if you did that? And yes, we, we would fall short of the ideal. And no, we wouldn't always get it right. But just imagine for a moment how it would be to lean into God's ideal and how that might affect your family, not just for this generation, but maybe for generations to come because somebody's got to train the next generation how to create these kind of environments. So today, I just want to challenge you, hey, let's not throw away the ideal. Instead, let's commit as parents that we're going to begin this journey of moving from what is real right now to what God established as the ideal, that I'm willing as a parent to live with this tension between reality and ideal. I'm going to work diligently to create this rhythm and this routine that gives margin to train the hearts of my children to love Jesus. Now, here's the other thing I know. For some of you, man, this conversation creates so much pain because you feel like you've failed. But here's the thing. God is a God of grace. And God is a God of forgiveness. And all of us can have a better, I mean, just a better hope for tomorrow if we just focus on Jesus and allow his grace and his forgiveness just to permeate our soul and say, God, we're going to move toward the ideal. Even if we have an adult child or adult children that we have estranged relationships from, we can begin the process of getting our life focused on Jesus so that God can open up the door for that relationship. So I'm going to pray for you as we close out today. And um, during this prayer, I just want you to use this time as a time of reflection and commitment to say, God, I'm choosing. I'm choosing to create a new pattern, a new rhythm, a new routine in my heart, in my home, so that I can begin to train the hearts of my children the way Jesus' heart was trained, as we talked about last week. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, your love. And I thank you that when we talk about these things, that there is no condemnation from you if we haven't got it right. There's just encouragement and there's empowerment from you to help us move from the real to the ideal. So God, I pray in this moment of prayer that you'll lay on each one of our hearts what we need to do. What's the first step we need to do? For some of us, it's, it's cleaning out our car. For, for some of us, it's cleaning up our home and replacing things that we have idolized in this world, in this culture, with things that refocus our hearts and our minds on you. For, for others of us, it's planning our week out, what we're going to do for our meals. For others of us, it's figuring out how do we create a process where we move to and fro where we're going without it being so chaotic. God, for many of us as parents, it's us refocusing our hearts on you so that truly being the spiritual leaders of our children is our number one priority. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. And now we ask for your empowerment as we go out and we seek to create the kind of environment that will set us up to impress the four irreducible minimals on the hearts of our children. We give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you next Sunday.